Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, August 8th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and joining me on today's episode is Slash Film Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, so let's jump right into the news today. First up, a report that came out... After we finished recording the podcast yesterday, and that is that Annapurna Pictures may be exploring the idea of bankruptcy. So we've talked a little bit about Annapurna on the podcast before. They're the indie production company. They're actually like a full-on film distri- uh, distribution company now um, that, that's run by Megan Ellison, who is the daughter of a billionaire and she has sort of been seen by a lot of people as like uh, a savior of auteur cinema. She and her Annapurna Pictures company have bankrolled movies like Zero Dark Thirty and Her and Phantom Thread, Everybody Wants Some, American Hustle, like a ton of really great stuff over the past, oh, I don't know, almost decade. I think Annapurna really got up and running in 2011. And uh, the, the company has experienced some financial troubles over the past year. I think all of the movies that they released in 2018, except for one, lost money. 
So that's never really good for a distribution company. But uh, a new report from The Hollywood Reporter says that Annapurna has retained a law firm to explore bankruptcy protection. And uh, the Ellison family is in negotiations to restructure their deals with the banks. But And so that's basically the report from The Hollywood Reporter. And, and there's a lot of just like hand-wringing and wondering about what's going to happen to the company. Um, Annapurna is working with MGM to release the upcoming Bond 25 movie, the, the 25th James Bond film that stars Daniel Craig. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about how that movie is going to be affected, if at all. So, yeah, I just figured this was worth bringing up. Um, Annapurna is a really, really valuable place, uh, destination company in ho- in the Hollywood landscape right now. I think all of us would probably agree that we love a, a really, really you know high percentage of the projects that they have put out so obviously if this company were to shut down or go under that would be really bad news uh megan ellison the founder of annapurna released a an email sent out an email to her staff basically saying that people like to write about her and her family a lot you may hear some stuff coming out uh you know in the in the press but you know we're still moving forward basically just saying like we're restructuring, but it's not as big of a deal as people seem to be making out. We obviously don't know what the real truth is here, because we don't have a look at Annapurna's books. But um, yeah, anyway, I, I just thought this was uh, a worthwhile thing to raise, um, especially because, you know, with like the consolidation that seems to be going on in the industry right now, to take away a place like Annapurna for, for a, a, a destination like that to disappear um, especially one that's so focused on our tours would be a really big blow to people who enjoy creativity uh, and original films at, at the you know in the movie landscape. So that is that. Let's move on to our second item, which is that uh, a new project from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. We've known that they are going to be working with Sony Pictures TV. They signed a big deal with them. But uh, Brad, what are they working on? So after the success of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which Lord and Miller produced, uh, they're digging into uh, the library of Marvel characters that Sony has at their disposal. And we already knew that they were working on some kind of Spider-Verse TV series spinoff that uh, would be animated. But apparently the projects they're working on over at Sony also include some live action shows that will use these Marvel characters. Uh, and for a frame of reference, apparently there are around 900 characters that Sony has the rights to use as they see fit in movies and TV and whatnot. So right now, Lord and Miller are trying to figure out exactly how they want to use them. And uh, it's uh, as they've t- talked about before, it will kind of create this uh, big kind of universe where all of the characters uh, exist. So that's really fascinating because we didn't know that they were going to be doing any sort of live action stuff. I think that's brand new information. So like, what do you think? I think they also mentioned something about like, they're trying to do something unprecedented in terms of uh, TV, you know, like uh, unlike anything else that's ever been done on TV before. And like, we know that um, superhero universes have been done on TV before. So, Brad, what do you think they could be teasing here, especially with this live-action component? I mean, if it's a series of interconnected shows and it's a mix of live-action animation, then that in itself is innovative in in that way. Because we've never seen 
uh, animated TV shows that are have a canon that crosses over into live action TV shows. Uh, it's often one or the other. And in a way, this isn't really that surprising because there was some discussion early in development in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse about using the Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland versions of Spider-Man uh, as being referenced to within Spider-Verse. So it's, it sounds like maybe they're taking a kind of a cue from that and they'll have something where things are all interconnected, almost in the same way where there's, you know, uh, there would be an animated universe and there's a live action universe in the same way that there are different parallel universes within, you know, what you would say is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like different timelines, so, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very interested to see what they have cooked up. I mean, they're like two of the most creative people in the entire industry right now. So, and obviously any sort of live action Marvel stuff we're interested in. But yeah, just the, the combination there could be, uh, could be something special. So we'll have to see what they end up doing. Uh, let's move to our next point, which is uh, Taika Waititi has a new project coming out. No, it's not Thor Love and Thunder. He has that coming out. But he, there's a project coming before that. HC, what do we know here? Well, Taika Waititi is feeling a lot of love and thunder from Hollywood lately. <laughs> um, he is working on a new uh, previously mystery project with Fox Searchlight. Uh, it was recently revealed to be a film called Next Goal Wins, which will be an adaptation of the 2014 documentary of the same name, um, directed by Mike Brett and Steve Jameson, which follows the national football team of American Samoa as they attempt to turn around their disastrous record and qualify for the FIFA World Cup with the help of new coach Thomas Rongen. Um, so YTD wrote the screenplay for this new movie uh, with Ian Morris, and uh, it will be filming before Thor and Love, Love and Thunder. It will be filming this fall. Um, Thor Love and Thunder is set to start production in early 2020. So we can probably expect this movie sometime in late 2020 or early 2021. Uh, but yes, Taika Waititi is just squeezing all of the passion projects in that he can before he goes back to Marvel. Uh, Fox Searchlight, he worked with previously on Jojo Rabbit, which is hitting theaters this October. And this seems like another uh, passion project for him. He will be do working again with um, uh, sort of indigenous um, like minority storytelling, which is really very much up his alley. And I'm excited to see this sort of more niche story told by Vaititi. Yeah. So, Brad, I know you're a big fan of Taika's, but you're not a big sports guy. Does the idea of him making like an underdog sports movie, does that uh, interest you? Yeah, I mean, if only because it's Taika directing it, but even though I don't uh, watch sports regularly, I am a sucker for a great sports movie. Um, I, I grew up watching stuff like Sandlot and Mighty Ducks and Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, I love Remember the Titans, um, you know, Little Giants, all this kind of stuff. So I, I love sports movies, and even though this is, it seems like it's more of an uh, adult sports movie, there's plenty of those that are great, no matter how cliché they are. So it actually kind of feels like we haven't really had a truly great sports movie in a while, maybe because those are more along the lines of kind of like mid-budget movies that have gone the way of almost becoming extinct. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I'm I'm all for anything that Tyke is doing. And especially if he wrote the screenplay, then I feel like he'll it'll be something that's funny, but also uplifting and, and fun. Yeah. And I feel like this being about soccer maybe gives it more of like a 
international appeal because I think that's one of the things I remember reading a couple years ago that like you know all those baseball movies you just mentioned Hollywood was going like baseball movie crazy in the 90s but baseball is not necessarily a sport that travels as well internationally like the you know people outside of uh, just a few countries don't really care that much about baseball so it's tough to sell movies centered around baseball to foreign audiences and um or international audiences and so for something like soccer which has much more of a worldwide appeal i wonder if that has something to do with you know this movie potentially getting greenlit and then also maybe going towards answering your question of like why we haven't seen a great sports movie recently but um yeah who knows uh okay so our next item is something that also broke uh last night after we or i guess late yesterday evening after we recorded the episode and that was that uh david benioff and db weiss the guys who created game of thrones for hbo have signed a 200 million dollar multi-year deal with netflix and this is like one of the biggest deals in tv history i think i i, I read that ryan murphy who is the guy behind American Crime Story, American Horror Story, and Glee, and all those shows, signed something like a $300 million deal with Netflix. But um, this deal puts Benioff and Weiss up there with Ryan Murphy and guys like uh, Greg Berlanti and Mike Schur and people like Shonda Rhimes as well, um, who have all signed you know huge nine-figure deals to produce content for these uh, various companies. And according to Deadline... Netflix beat out um, Disney and Amazon to, I guess, have the rights to, to, to basically lock up Benioff and Weiss for the next few years. They're going to be uh, producing film and TV stuff for them. Um, they also have, of course, the Star Wars movies that they're working on for Disney and Lucasfilm. Deadline says that they wrote a Kurt Cobain project for Universal about the lead singer of Nirvana. Um, so I'd, I'd never heard of that project before. Uh, they are also supposed to be making a prison break project called Dirty White Boys for Fox and Disney, which, again, I'd, I'd never heard of that. I didn't know that they were involved in that. So I'm not sure, you know, where those things are going to fall in their on their busy schedule. But it seems like a lot of their stuff uh, is going to be coming through the Netflix pipeline over the next few years. Um, HT, I, I imagine when you saw this, you probably rolled your eyes because I know you're not a huge Benioff and Weiss, a huge fan of these guys. Um, I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah, what was your reaction to this? Um, I wouldn't say seething, but something close to that. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I lost all faith in anything Benioff and Weiss were doing uh, along during the run of Game of Thrones. And I know that a lot of people feel the same way after the final season, which disappointed a lot of fans. There are some defenders on Slash Film, some uh, detractors, but um, I have not seen the, the final season. I can't say anything about that, but I know that my impression of, their, of them during Game of Thrones is that they're great at bringing together a really talented team, but as writers themselves, I just don't think that they are up to snuff. And um, it just feels to me like this is a case of them failing up, even though that doesn't make sense in a larger scheme of things, because Game of Thrones, by all by all means, is a success, is like the most successful TV show uh, in recent years. So yeah, I guess it makes sense that Netflix is handing them a nine figure deal, but also they only have one success under their belt 
and they have a lot of um, controversy still following them after the HBO series Confederate, which I think after this um, news came out is now confirmed to be dead, correct? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, that project was, yeah, it generated a ton of controversy. We talked about it when that news first came out uh, on this podcast. And then, um, yeah, I think they've just sort of like quietly swept that one under the rug, especially now that they're off to Netflix instead of uh, hanging out at HBO. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to voice your opinion because I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this share that opinion. I am one of the defenders of, uh, of especially the final season of Game of Thrones, but the show at large and their work on it, I think they did a really tremendous job that, that, um, you know, like it, there were so many ways for Game of Thrones, uh, despite what people may think about the, whatever anybody thinks about the final season for the entire show to have just been a complete disaster from the start. And I think, um, I don't know, I, I think they did a really admirable job pulling that all together. Uh, yes, of course, it was all based on uh, George R. R. Martin's work. And I'm curious to see what they'll be able to do with like completely original stuff, because you say what you will about where Game of Thrones went once they ran out of book material. But I wonder how much of that was them being and I guess this sounds like me making excuses for them and maybe I am but it's I'm wondering how much of like the direction of that show went from or, or, or sort of uh, why the, the show went in the directions that it did came from them just being like beaten down from doing what they had done with the first you know five seasons of the show up until that point so I wonder and and maybe theoretically being backed into a story corner I'm not sure I know George R. R. Martin gave them some uh runway for like where the show where the the story was supposed to end um but I'm, I'm very curious nonetheless to see sort of what they do on their own and i know people are probably like yelling into their uh, podcast <laughs> devices at me right now but um anyway that's just my my take on the situation so uh yeah we'll we'll see a lot more from them uh, and netflix coming up pretty soon in the meantime, let's talk about MoviePass. Uh, Brad, it's been a little while since we've checked in on the good old MoviePass, something that we talked about so much on the over the course of this podcast's history. Uh, what is the latest on MoviePass? Uh, well, the latest is just more of the same that we've heard previously about MoviePass being shitty as hell. And as shitty as you might think MoviePass already is, uh, they're actually way worse because... Uh, a new in-depth article uh, was published this week from Business Insider, uh, where they spent four months working on uh, basically the trajectory of MoviePass, uh, how they rose and fall. And within the article were some very interesting details about some extremely deceptive and shady practices that they took on when they were at their, their most popular and having some of their biggest problems. For example, there were times when uh, MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe had employees change the passwords of heavy MoviePass users so they couldn't log on and use the service. And along similar lines, when Mission Impossible Fallout came out last year, which is one of the biggest releases of the summer, uh, he made sure to make it unavailable on MoviePass so that half of the subscribers would be frozen out that weekend in order to, uh, to keep them from buying a ticket to be able to see it. And the explanation was that oh they were working on a fix towards a, a technical issue that popped up but nope it was really just movie pass saying nope we're just not going to let people use the service that they're paying for <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah just, it's just all this sort of stuff and then there, uh, there's even a thing here too where 
uh, basically, while MoviePass was up and running, they had what uh, they referred to as a, quote, tripwire, which was this automatic shutdown kill switch for all users that would happen if MoviePass went past a certain amount balance. So if the money that MoviePass had to pay for all these movie tickets ever ran out, all of a sudden MoviePass would be down and there would be no more screenings at theaters uh, that you could buy tickets for. This is this is just insane stuff. Uh, like, the, and, and just to be like, clear, there were actually screenings, but they would just tell people that there weren't screenings right. available. Yeah, exactly. This, this is like the fire festival, you know, of of uh, movie tickets. <laughs> I mean, there there's just these Mitch Lowe and the 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 executives who were in charge of Movie Pass uh, were just some real shady, shady motherfuckers. <laughs> I remember experiencing it's... that when um, Movie Pass was you know, going down the shithole. And uh, I was really frustrated that I couldn't see any movies no matter what time I went or what day I went. And it was just the worst. They really just shut out all their customers. I, I know both of you were Movie Pass uh, subscribers at one point. Did either of you experience this password thing, like having your password changed at all? I no, didn't. I never um, had that problem either. Yeah, I think my dad did because he's retired and he would often just go to movies to kill time and he loved movie pass because of that. And I think his password changed and he asked me about that. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Man, yeah, that is so shady. Um I, I think a business insider uh, interviewed a member of the Department of Justice, like a, a lawyer who works for the Department of Justice, and they said that MoviePass's behavior is, quote, certainly unethical and could be illegal. So really? uh, I wow. wonder, like, how far this is actually going to go if this uh, Business Insider story actually, like, makes its way, you know, like, moves the needle a little bit on MoviePass as a company. Because I know that right now they're sort of, like, still barely cling to life and hanging around. Um, and Brad, still it's making interesting. movies, too? Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I I know they were at, at one point, but, uh, you know, uh, all hail Gotti. But, yeah, we um, got Gotti out of it. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if, uh, if that part of the company has been, has like made it this far or if they're just sort of like, um, you know, inching along with, with whichever subscribers somehow like forgot to cancel their subscription basically because I don't understand how anybody could still be like an active movie pass user at this point. Um, but, uh, and Brad, it's interesting that you mentioned the fire festival because there's a, a story in this, uh, article, which is worth a read and we link to it in the show notes, but, um, they spent more than a million movie pass spent more than a million dollars of their money to host a big boy concert at Coachella. And they worked with Jerry media, which is like an advertising company that was involved <laughs> with fire festivals. So, That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Because of course they did like, they, you know, it's just too perfect. Uh, so yeah. Um, burn in hell movie pass. And yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, okay. So Brad, we talked a little bit on yesterday's episode about coming to America, the number two, uh, being the, the key word there, uh, this upcoming sequel starring Eddie Murphy. And I think we were talking about uh, Wesley Snipes joining the cast, and we said at that point we didn't really know what other returning players might be coming back. But now we do have the answer to that question. Yes, we do. Uh, not only do we have word on some of the returning players, but we have word on some other new cast members and also some plot details as well. Uh, perhaps the, the biggest returning cast member is James Earl Jones, uh, who's returning as Eddie Murphy's father, uh, Prince uh, Jaffe Joffer. Um, he's the king of Zamunda, and he uh, was seeing his son married off in the original one. And now what we'll see is that uh, it seems like he's on the last leg of his life, 
and he he will pass away in this movie, and his last wish will be that Akeem returns to Queens to track down uh, this son that he didn't know that Akeem had in uh, Queen back in Queens. So the the last dying wish is that Akeem goes there, and so that's what brings us back to America. And Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall will be there to meet this uh, son who is named Lavelle. And he's described as a, uh, a street-savvy guy. He does live in Queens. And he'll be played by comedian Jermaine Fowler. And in addition to that, his mother will be played by Saturday Night Live and Ghostbusters cast member Leslie Jones. Um, what, what's interesting about this is I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to explain... Uh, that Akeem has a son that he didn't know about because the character in coming to America, he's, he's kind of a wholesome uh, person. He's not really like a, a womanizer or adulterer. Even when his father like tried to convince him to go soil his Royal oats when he goes to America, he's kind of uh, not about that and is really just interested in meeting a woman that he loves and connects with. So I'm wondering how they're going to explain that he has this son that he didn't know about. Um, it's, it's an interesting story detail that I'm, I'm very curious about. Uh, in addition, Akeem does have another uh, offspring, a daughter, who is played by Kiki Lane. And uh, it's said that she apparently feels like she's always been treated like the son that her father never had. So that will likely create some kind of uh, familial tension once Akeem learns that he does have an actual son uh, living in Queens. Uh, and then on top of that, we have some uh, returning cast members. Uh, or, um, um, Louis Anderson, who played a McDowell's employee uh, named Maurice in the original movie, will be back. And then Paul Bates, who played Akeem's manservant and bodyguard Oha, is also returning. And then Do we new know cast if they're members, playing like the same roles, does it say? I mean, I would assume so. It would be weird if they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that would be a, quite a, a, a turn. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that they'll be playing the, the same characters. And I, I, I imagine it would be really funny that Louis Anderson would still be working on McDowell's because there's a whole uh, thing that he has when he is talking about working there and like he has this whole like long-term plan about like making his way up to working assistant manager after years. Uh, and he's like, and that's when the big bucks roll in. Um, but yeah, so I would assume they're all playing the, the same characters from the original movie. And then we also have some new characters that we played by uh, Tiana Taylor, who is a singer, uh, Rick Ross and comedian uh, Michael Blackson, but they haven't given any details as to who uh, those characters um, will be. Um, one of the interesting things mentioned here is that there's a chance that Eddie Murphy will play multiple characters again, which is something he did in the original coming to America. Uh, both him and Arsenio Hall played multiple characters, uh, something that they you know had done um, before Nutty Professor and all that jazz. But the character that was is mentioned by Collider Source is an African general who wants to kill Prince Akeem and then have his own daughter married to Lavelle, who would be Zamunda's next heir. Also, he can gain power over the nation. But when we learned Wesley Snipes joined this movie, we were told that he was playing General Izzy, a man who rules the neighboring nation to Akeem's uh, African nation of Zamunda. And it sounds like those two are probably the same characters. So I don't know if some wires got crossed somewhere or if Eddie Murphy was maybe thinking of playing this character and then they decided to have Wesley Snipes do it. Hmm. Because uh, it, I... I learned this while I was looking up the credits for other uh, actors in the original movie. 
And there was there's actually a character named Colonel Izzy in the original movie who is the person who was presenting his daughter to marry Akeem in the original one before he decided to go to Queens to find somebody that he actually loved. So I would imagine that would be the impetus for there being bad blood between these families and that maybe this uh, general character is somebody who might be that colonel's son and like wants revenge for this, you know, slight against their family or something hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, I saw Coming to America probably only, I think only once, and it was about 20 years ago. And I know, HT, you've seen this way more recently than I have. What do you make of all of this news? Are you excited about these returning cast members? And what do you think about the, the sort of plot details that we have that, that have been sketched out here? I have a theory that's forming. I don't know if it'll be right at all. But I wonder if this uh, long-lost son is actually the son of uh, Lisa McDowell and that in the 20 years since the movie came out, 30 years, um, she didn't actually become Akeem's queen. She somehow, you know, stepped back from wanting to become queen of, of uh, Zamunda and just went back to her life in America. And he married someone who was of royal blood. And um, his first son with Lisa, with, um, Lisa was actually something that she kept hidden from him. And um, she finds out and returns to find his first love. That's that's, inter- that's interesting. Mm-hmm. One one theory I had, I didn't write about it in the article just because you know it was just would have been more more things that we didn't necessarily need to theorize about yet for a movie that doesn't require this much discussion really. <laughs> um, but I I think it would be a, kind of a funny comedic twist if we, we find out that this kid isn't actually Akeem's son, but it's actually Semi's son uh, because mm. because Semi was the one who was kind who was really like. You know, just trying to hook up with as many women as he could when he was in America. <laughs> and was Semi Arsenio Hall's character? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, huh. I'm excited about um, some of these new cast members. I'm especially excited about Kiki Lane, who is just exquisite in um, If Beale Street Could Talk, and I'm just excited to see her getting more roles and doing more things. So that's that's my one, uh, my two cents to this so far. Do we know anything about a release date for Coming to America yet, Brad? Yeah, it comes out uh, in December of 2020. Okay, cool. All right, so another project that's coming up soon uh, is Amazon's Lord of the Rings series, and we've we've talked a little bit about this. We've written about it. It's it's sort of um, we're a little vague on the details of what exactly this show is going to be about. They have released some videos, sort of um, showing off like the showrunners and some of the writers and behind the scenes cast and crew and stuff. Or not cast, but. Uh, crew and and people who are working on the movie but we don't know much about the cast i think there's only been one person cast officially cast so far um ht we we learned some interesting uh, little factoids about what amazon has in store for this lord of the rings show what do we know now so a new interview with Tom Shipney, who is a token scholar and also one of the behind the scenes talents who was mentioned in amazon's recent video um and he confirmed that there will be 20 episodes in the first season of Lord of the Rings. Um, he said that uh, they have decided they haven't decided what the end is going to be yet in terms of the story, um, but the, so they can't start filming, but that it will take place in um, uh, several locations, it seems. Um, but we don't know which locations there are yet because Amazon is st- still being very like, tight-lipped about this series. Yeah, like where they're actually going to f- literally film the show. Like there's mm-hmm. been a lot of discussion about whether or not they're going to go back to New Zealand, which is where Peter Jackson filmed uh, his, I guess, multiple trilogies at this point. Um, and Amazon, I guess, knows where it's going to film, but just has not made that information public yet. So um, 
yeah, that's that's interesting. Twenty episodes. I mean, that's like that's a big change from prestige TV shows. You know that that have over the past few years, which seem to have like uh, slimmed down the episode count. Yeah, if that's like network television um, episode count. Like those network television ep- uh, shows usually go up to twenty two episodes, and that's this is quite lengthy for a um, series that's debuting on Amazon. Yeah, Brad, are you excited about like diving into the Lord of the Rings in such a, I guess, an extended fashion? Like twenty episodes, you know, are are, are do you think modern uh, viewers are going to be like are going to embrace something like that? Uh, I mean, considering it's Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth, I I think they're on board for anything, especially when you uh, remember the fact that the three Lord of the Rings movies total something like fourteen hours or something like that if you watch the extended cuts. So Lord of the Rings fans are down, you know, to to spend as much time as possible as they can in Middle-earth. But I think it all just depends on the quality of the show and what kind of story they're telling here because uh, it, it's obviously not a retread of, you know, Lord, the Lord of the Rings story and those there's a lot more mythology to dig into. So I just think it depends on how compelling these characters are, uh, how, you know, good the cast is and uh, how good the writing is. Yeah, and speaking of like what the show is actually going to be about and what they're going to be able to touch on, HT, we also learned in that same interview some interesting details about like what parts of Tolkien's histories Amazon Studios can actually use here. What what do we know now? Yeah, this is something really interesting that we learned from Shippy. Uh, well, we knew for a while that the Amazon series will only be covering the second age of Middle-earth, and that takes place uh, several thousand years before um, the events of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and covers essentially the rise and fall of Sauron, the first rise and fall. Um, and... Um, not only does that mean we'll probably be getting a young hot Sauron, but <laughs> it means we'll probably be seeing the creation of the ring and all of that stuff. I cannot um, wait for young hot Sauron. <laughs> it's going to be great. But Sauron who we, fucks. Sauron who fucks. <laughs> but uh, what we, the interesting thing that we learned from Shippy is that um, Amazon actually only has the rights to the second age of Middle Earth, which is something we didn't know before. Um, apparently, the Tolkien the Tolkien estate um, insists that uh, they will only t- the main shape of the Second Age is not altered, um, and that they cover the events as seen in um, extended chronology, like the Cimmerillion. Um, but the First and Third Ages are off limits because the First Age uh, is currently under the ownership of the Tolkien estate, and a company called Middle-Earth Enterprises owns the right to the events depicted in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which take place in the Third Age. That is really fascinating. And I was talking with Jacob Hall from Slash Film in our Slack channel earlier, and he was like wondering if you know, ages of fictional worlds, have they ever been split up like that in terms of the rights and licensees and all that kind of stuff? And I can't think of an instance where that's happened, but I guess uh, Tolkien's Middle Earth is like so vast and covers such a huge expanse of time that maybe it makes sense for them to be able to sort of divide it up this way. But that sort of also raises some interesting questions about like, if this show takes place in the second age, can they even reference anything that happens in the first and third ages? Or like, do they have to get separate, you know, do they have to get rights uh, to even like offhandedly mention something? Or is it all going to be, you know, compressed within this second age thing? That's really a a fascinating question. Um, 
I mean, they have to, because Sauron plays such a major part in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and um, that takes place like majorly in the Third Age. So you you must have something, and you, Middle Earth is like you were saying a vast history that is all um, influenced and built upon each other. So I can't mm-hmm. see how it would just be self-contained. That would be very difficult. Or maybe they'll, they, just be, they'll just be vague about it. And they'll be like, "Remember what happened last time." It'll be like in the in but it, it's Marvel not TV last time. Stuff, it's it's like what like happens. It, it's what happens in the future, though, right? Care, this care, is, oh, so careful, you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, Ashi, I think on a recent water cooler episode, you were talking about how you started reading the Cimmerillion. Are you still mm-hmm. reading it? Yeah, it's really dense, and I <laughs> kind of started. I read it for a little bit, and I just need to take a break from it for a while because it's one of the most densest pieces of literature I've read, apart from maybe a uh, hundred years of solitude. And mm. um, so I'm just like reading it at bits at a time. I'm still just going through my uh, Lord of the Rings audiobook, though. I'm actually made it to the Return of the King now, nice. so I'm still like completely embedded in Middle Earth right now, and um, I'm interested to see what this um, series could cover because despite the Cimmerillion being a pretty extensive history, it also is vague in a lot of parts that could um, warrant more exploration and more creative freedom. Yeah, I have not read that book yet. My wife is reading our copy right now. I'll probably read it hopefully before this Amazon show comes out. But um, from what I understand, the second age is only uh, sort of touched on in one part out of five that are in the Cimmerillion. So I I had previously assumed that Amazon would be able to pull from the entirety of the Cimmerillion to tell their stories here. But that's not even true now. If, If this is actually if this actually holds that they're only able to use the second age stuff um that like severely limits what i thought they had access to so that's uh and and like you said if you know if it's really vague then i guess that's good news for like uh creatively speaking because it's not going to be just a direct adaptation or like a a sort of slavish recreation it's going to be they're going to have the opportunity to sort of tell whatever stories they want as long as it fits within the um, framework that Tolkien laid out. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, all right. So, yeah, we'll keep you guys more uh, posted when we learn more about the Lord of the Rings show. Um, hopefully we'll we'll start to hear more about casting and, and like, what the actual plot of this thing is supposed to be uh, soon. But, uh, yeah, you got 20 episodes coming your way for the first season if this, uh, if this guy who's actually working on the show knows what he's talking about. So uh, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And be sure to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word any way you can. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.